Hey, I'm Jesse. Yesterday, we saw Nehemiah handle stuff to see to it that the Levites and priests and the singers were taken care of. And then he prays this prayer. Now remember me, God, for, for this and don't erase the deeds of my faithful love. Well, today we're gonna have a similar formula where Nehemiah is gonna handle an issue wherein Jerusalem, which has been rebuilt, is now beginning to, again, decay into rebellion. And then he's gonna follow it up with that same prayer. Remember this good thing that I did, oh God. So yesterday it was about provisions for the Levites and priests and singers. Today, it's about the Sabbath. At that time, this is verse 15, at that time I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in stores of grain and loading them on donkeys along with wine, grapes, and figs. All kinds of goods were being brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I warned them against selling food on that day. The Tyrians means people from Tyre, Tyre and Sidon were these towns right on the coast, and so they were known for their, their fisheries. Uh, the Tyrians living there were importing fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. I rebuked the nobles of Judah. There's these nobles again, these wealthy, uh, wealthy Jewish landowners who were kind of favored by the, the Medo-Persians. Uh, what is this evil that you're doing? Profaning the Sabbath day. Didn't your ancestors do the same so that our God brought this disaster on us in this city? And now you're rekindling his anger against Israel by profaning the Sabbath. When the shadows began to fall on the city, the gates of, uh, the gates of Jerusalem, just before the Sabbath, I gave orders that the city gates be closed and not open until after the Sabbath, because sundown is the beginning of Shabbat, the Sabbath. I posted some of my men at the gates so that no goods could enter during the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and those who sell all kinds of goods camped outside Jerusalem, but I warned them, why are you camping in front of the wall? If you do it again, I'll use force against you. After that, they did not come on the Sabbath. Nehemiah must have been a scary dude. Maybe he wasn't a eunuch. Then I instructed the Levites to purify themselves and guard the city gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and look on me with compassion according to the abundance of your faithful love. So here's our formula once more. Nehemiah fixes something that has degraded since he departed from the newly rebuilt Jerusalem and then prays to God to remember this good thing that he's done. So the jury's still out on, on this prayer that Nehemiah prays. But this, the second of the four in this chapter, is my favorite of the four because it rests upon the abundant compassion and faithful love of God. He's just abiding in God's love, God's abundant and faithful love. That's the wording of verse 22. So to say to God, remember me for this. All right, that, I get it. It's not a necessary prayer. God remembers everything. Of course, he remembers everything. And we're all gonna give an account to God one day for the things that we've done. But I think that it's reasonable to, to just say like, God, may I abide forever in your love, your abundant love, your abundant, faithful love that never runs out. So again, remember, this is a theme that's gonna come up throughout the week, over and over again. Nehemiah's like, look at the good thing I did. Give me a gold star. Remember me for this. Please make sure that it's noted that I did this good thing. <laughs> Jury's out on whether or not that's a good practice, but this particular prayer is a good one. Let's talk about this Sabbath thing. God created the earth miraculously in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. It wasn't until centuries later that he actually revealed to his chosen people of Israel. Okay, it was before humanity 
that the Sabbath actually existed. Mankind didn't know about the Sabbath until centuries later, where God gives this command to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And it's quite simple at first, but then Jewish leaders, rabbis, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, they, they begin to add on to it over the generations. By the time you get to Jesus's day, people are overburdened. It's ironic. It's supposed to be a day of rest and it becomes like a massive burden. I mean, like, you know how it is, the, the, the Thursday before vacation. You tracking with me? Is that not your most productive day of the year? Because like you wanna go on vacation and you don't wanna hang it over your head. You're like, I don't wanna answer emails. I don't wanna have anything to do. I just wanna go on vacation and really be on vacation. And so what do you do on the Thursday before? You work your tail off. Like it is miraculous how much you get done that day, but it's really stressful. <laughs> this is kind of like every week for ancient Israel, especially fast forward after the days of Nehemiah into the days of the Pharisees and Sadducees in the future and the Talmud as it gets written, added onto the Sabbath and Sabbath preparation becomes more and more burdensome. It's so ironic. It gets to the point where even Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are like, kill him. <laughs> like that's how bad this got. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest, a time of rest. Now it's commanded in the Old Testament. Nehemiah is living in the Old Testament. The original recipients of this book were Old Testament Israelites now having returned to Jerusalem. So while I agree that Nehemiah goes overboard in kicking all the Ammonites and Ashdodites and Moabites out of the temple, especially not if there's some way to see if they're actually adhering to the Sabbath themselves, if they love the Lord, as Isaiah would later say in Isaiah 56, as, as, as is consistent with the very genealogy of the very King David, whose scrolls they dusted off to adhere to once more. A Moabitess, Ruth, right there in the genealogy leading to the Savior. And now Nehemiah is kicking all the Moabites out of the assembly. I agree he went too far there. But with this one, I think he's spot on. And it's because in the Old Testament, you were still under this command for the Sabbath. Now, stay tuned because as we close, we're going to talk about how we as New Testament believers apply our lives to this Old Testament text. But he is spot on. He's spot on because these Tyrians, they showed up and it was a marketplace, man. It was a, it was a full on marketplace at the temple, all right, right, right there at the city walls. They've turned the whole place that was supposed to be for worship into a big giant marketplace. Do you remember when Jesus saw this same practice going on again, by the way, that he made a whip out of three strands and he drives everybody out of the temple. I believe he does it twice. He overthrows the tables of the money changers in the temple where they turned the house of God into a marketplace. It was not about worship anymore. It was all just business for them. And so Jesus just gets furious with it and he wants it purified. He purifies the temple twice, twice. You imagine what that was like to be one of those money changers? This guy again? <laughs> well, that guy is Jesus. He was right. He was spot on with this. This was serious. It was for just such sins that they had experienced exile in the first place. And it was for precisely their adherence to the Sabbath that Isaiah in chapter 56 would go on to say that even like Moabites and eunuchs would be able to stay in the, the assembly of God because of their adherence to the Sabbath. So what about you and I as New Testament believers? Paul's book Galatians addresses this, this tension between Old Testament commands and New Testament believers, how we don't believe that the Old Testament has been completely wiped out. That's antinomianism. 
as in like you're against the law, the law was meaningless, God's having a schizophrenic fit. He didn't really mean that whole Old Testament thing. That's not where I stand at all. Not one stroke of the pen from the law will disappear. It lasts forever. So Jesse, does that mean that we just throw the the Old Testament away? Does that mean that we're, we have to adhere to the Old Testament? No, here's what, here's what the law does for us today. Here's what we do with the law. Here's how we apply our lives to the law. We look at the law in the Old Testament and it makes us aware of our sin. When we look to the law, we become aware of how short we fall from it. Today, as a New Testament believer, looking at Nehemiah's stringent adherence and righteous righteous indignation at the violation of the Sabbath, the very sins for which they had been caught, uh, sent out into the diaspora in the first place. And ask yourself if you've been taking adequate Sabbath. As church planters, man, especially in Seattle where the, the real estate market's so expensive, yeah, you better believe, man, we're all about some uh, Seventh-day Adventist churches on Sunday morning. <laughs> And those Seventh-day Adventist churches are like, well, we're not using it on Sunday morning. So every Seventh-day Adventist church in the greater Seattle area is booked on Sunday morning by <laughs> churches that are hoping to use those facilities. And it's because they have, they have a very strict adherence to a certain interpretation of Shabbat. Now, Sunday morning worship has been going on since the resurrection of Jesus, and that's really what it comes down to. Paul actually kind of breaks this dispute up uh, in Galatians. In fact, he's concerned because of their their legalism about a certain Sabbath day. He goes on to ask them the rhetorical, rhetorical question, like, you know, do you want to be enslaved all over again to these weak and worthless elements? He says, you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. He says, I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. All right, like he's, he's worried that because they're adhering to these Old Testament laws once more, they're picking up all these legalistic practices again. It's like, what, my time with you is, has been wasted. And Galatians was written to a massive region, by the way. Galatia was like a geographic region, roughly the size of modern-day Turkey. It's huge. It's not like Corinthians written to a city or Ephesians written to a city. This is Galatia, a whole massive region. And Paul's like, did I just waste all my time ministering to you guys? because you're going back to these old, you're going back to these legalistic ways. Don't get wrapped up in certain Sabbaths and new moons and festivals and years and, and don't, don't let anybody condemn you for this. Rather, in the New Testament, we observe Sabbaths, but you do it on your own. For me personally, I've moved mine around. It's been Fridays and it's been Mondays. You know, pastors, for pastors, uh, Saturdays and Sundays are often very much work days. And so like, when does a pastor ever get a Sabbath time? For me, it's been Mondays. It's what I've tried to protect but that's just me. That's my personal conviction. I don't hold you to that. Uh, don't feel like you got to abide by that same standard. I don't look down on you if you have a different standard. But do take time for Sabbath. Do take time for rest. Or, I've learned this the hard way, you burn out as a result. When Nehemiah is going through, man, and he's cracking an Old Testament whip before Jesus cracked a literal physical whip on this corruption of the temple and this violation of the Sabbath day. So check your own heart in light of this text. Are you getting rhythmic rest? Is your current pace sustainable? Because we got a lot of people to reach here. I don't want you burning out.